Welcome this morning to Fresh Vision Church. Uh, we are going to be starting the book of Jonah. Last week I tried to give a pretty good thorough introduction with the time that we had. Um, this morning I was originally planning on going through the entire chap- first chapter of Jonah, but I was, as I was going through it, um, I couldn't just let those first three verses, I couldn't just go through them or breeze through them. Uh, The first three three verses alone set up the entire book, set up the the rest of the four or three chapters. And there's so much that we can learn just from those three verses. Um, And I think there, those of us that have been there and done that and have ran away and have tried to hide from the Lord, this, definitely uh, has a lot of application, a lot of things that we can learn from. So that's where we're going to be at, uh, the first three verses of Jonah chapter 3. And I titled it this morning's message, The Folly of Running, Running and Hiding. So before we begin reading, before we get into the Word, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here together, Lord. Um, for everyone that made an effort to come and, and join us. Lord, may you bless every single one of them. May you speak to them now, Lord, through your word, through this message. We want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. We just want to have that intimate communion with you now, Lord. Keep all the distractions of life away, Lord, and so that our hearts and minds will be soft, will be a soft soil, so your word may just be like a seed and be implanted there. We expect to hear from you today, Lord. So fill this room with your Holy Spirit, fill us with your love. Teach us your wisdom, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came up to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish, to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa or Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. As I mentioned, these first three verses set the stage for the, this entire book and is meant to draw the reader, is meant to draw us as the readers into this story. Verse 1 begins by telling us that the word of the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now in my introduction last week in the, in, of the book of Jonah, I gave all, all of you some historical background information on Jonah and the setting in which this story takes place. Rather than going through all that information again, I thought it'd be best just to remind you 
of just a few important facts about one of our main characters. Jonah's name in Hebrew means dove, and his father, Amittai, means true, true to or faithful is God in Hebrew. Another fact to keep in mind is that Jonah was a, was a Galilean prophet, was a Galilean prophet to Jeroboam II, who reigned over the 10 uh, northern tribes of Israel from 793 to 753 BC, before their enslavement and dispersion, dispersion at the hands of the Assyrians in 722 BC. These dates thus place Jonah in the generation after Elisha and immediately prior to the beginning of the great era of prophecy that began with Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah. Now the other main character of our story is also mentioned in verse 1. And who is that? It's the Lord. Now the exact translation for the Lord in Hebrew is Yahweh and is the proper name of God in the Old Testament. Now unless God is described in any other way uh, throughout this book. For the most part, I'll be using the Lord and Yahweh interchangeably in case there's any confusion here. Now, uh, we're told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, the exact matter, manner of how God, God's communication came isn't given here. Or in, verse, or in chapter 3, verse 1. But that it came from the Lord to Jonah is certain. That is absolutely certain. So what, what was it that God tells Jonah? Or what was it that God said? Well, verse 2 tells us. There God gives them three commands and a reason why. Those three commands were get up, go to the city of Nineveh, and preach against it. And here's the reason why because their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was called great because of its size and importance at that time, in that era. According to Genesis 10:11, it was originally built by Nimrod and was located on, on the eastern bank of the Tigris River, over 500 miles from Israel's modern day, or from, from Israel in modern day Iraq. Some have estimated that this would have taken a month's journey by land from Jonah's hometown of Gath Heifer at the pace of 18 to 20 miles per day. Jonah is commissioned because the wickedness of Nineveh has come to the Lord's attention. Now, this doesn't imply that the Lord had been unaware of the city's depravity. Um, rather, the situation there had degenerated so much, so much to the point that his patience had reached a level that justice was mandated. For God, the wickedness of Nineveh may have been similar to that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, as we see in verse 3, he obeyed the first command. Jonah did. It appears that he obeyed, uh, followed the first command to get up, but unfortunately failed to in obeying the other two. Verse 3 tells us that Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So instead of going 500 miles east, 
he chose to flee 2,000 miles west in the opposite direction. No Jonah knows that the call from Yahweh will not simply go away and immediately grasps the radical and pressing nature of the call. So what does he, again, what does he do? In his desperation, he thinks that the, that the only radical and immediate action, the uh, only radical and immediate action will save him from what God is calling him to do. Now the reasons for Jonah running, Jonah's running, are not explained until chapter 4 verse 2 and cannot be understood uh, without some historical con background. As I mentioned last week, Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, was Israel's worst enemy and they were hated, absolutely hated in the ancient world. They were a powerful, well-developed civilization and were also known for their brutal and grisly treatment of their enemies. Thus, Jonah's response to run from the Lord's command to preach in Nineveh may have been due to fear, rebellion, and moral opposition to Yahweh's mercy. In any case, Jonah feeling, uh, Jonah, uh, Jonah's feeling um, meant, yeah, Jonah feeling this way meant that he had no interest in participating in the redemption uh, uh, this particular enemy. He also knew that his own countrymen realized that one of his own prophets, that if one of their own prophets was preaching to the enemy, he'd be hated and he would be ostracized. Maybe he thought that by fleeing, the Lord will, find, will just find someone else to do the job. The Lord's tenacity, however, will soon be demonstrated. So what does the rest of verse 3 tell us? He went down to Joppa, or Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. This, if this verse were put into a modern day scenario, it would probably look like this. He went to the nearest airport and found a flight going to the smallest island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. He paid his fare, boarded with the other passengers, and took his middle seat in the very back of the plane. And maybe, just maybe, put some headphones on and just, you know, think about other things as that flight was taken off. Simply put, Jonah did everything he could to run as far away as he could from the Lord's presence. Even spending money to ensure a smooth sailing. Now, imagine for a moment, if God called you to go somewhere, and you, uh, somewhere you didn't want to go, and preach to a people you believed deserved the full wrath of God, what would your attitude be, and how would you respond? Let's talk, uh, what I want to do right now is just talk about uh, some of the wrong attitudes that may cause us to flee and how we can adopt different, a different perspective in order to change those attitudes. We often flee from God's calling when our attitudes about uh, His will is wrong. This usually occurs when we start to believe that God 
has made a mistake or that we know better than him or that he doesn't know anything about us. But this couldn't be further from the truth. Here's what Psalm 1830 says. As for God, his ways are perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to those who trust in him. You see, it's in obeying God's will, in obeying the will of God, that we find our nourishment, enlightenment, and enablement. To Jesus, the will of God was food, was the food that satisfied him. To Jonah, the will of God was the medicine that choked him. We often flee when we feel him or when we feel he's asking us to do the impossible. We often think to ourselves, Lord, that's, that's crazy, that's impossible. Why would you have me go there? To those people, don't you know how wicked and how disgusting they are, how immoral they are? Well, first, let me remind you of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Secondly, we must remember what it says in 1 John 2, 2. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and only, not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. Jonah forgot that the will of God is the expression of the love of God and that God called him to Nineveh because he loved both Jonah and he loved the Ninevites. If you have a heart to do the will of God, it's important that you don't forget that principle either. John 1.12 tells us, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Also, we, we often flee from God because we have the wrong attitude about God's word. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he thought he could just take it or leave it. However, when, God, when God's word commands us, we must listen and obey. Disobedience isn't an option. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? And Jesus said that in Luke 6, 46. So what you believe about God's word, what you think of it, what it means to you, will determine, is a determining factor on your attitude, on your view on it. If you don't believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God, it will be easy for you to pick and choose out of it what's important and relevant at any given time. However, if you believe that everything written, every jot and tittle, everything in this book is uh, true, is the true and living Word of God, it'll be hard to ignore and disregard any of it. You just, it's... You're going to want to listen to what everything, everything that the Lord is saying here. In Luke 11:28, it says, Blessed are those who hear 
the word of God and keep it. And lastly, we often flee because we have the wrong attitude towards unbelievers. Instead of wanting to help them, uh, instead of wanting to help them find the true and living God, Jonah wanted to abandon them to their darkness and spiritual death. He not only hated their sins, and the Assyrians were ruthless at their ruthless enemies, but he hated the sinners who committed the sins. Jonah's perspective was that it would be better that the Ninevites should be destroyed and the Assyrians live than the Assyrians live and attack Israel. So here's the question. Do you often find yourself thinking to yourself, do you often find yourself um, sharing that same perspective about unbelievers you can't personally stand to be around? When you look at all the confused people out there, everyone that, and, and there's a lot of people out there that are just lost and broken and empty and, and they, they're in search for something deeper. Uh, they're looking for fulfillment and so they'll find it in anything and in, in, in anywhere. Um, but when you see any particular group, you can think of any kind of group that maybe just you know, strikes a nerve. What comes to mind? How do you feel about them? What do you think? Do you think to yourself, geez, Lord, just come and destroy them all, kill them all. They, need, they all need to go away. This world would be a better place without them. Or do you say, or do you think, man, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. Do you have that heart? Do you have that perspective? If you do, then yes. If, or if you have that negative attitude, you're going to run the opposite direction. When God calls you to share the gospel with them. However, if you can see them as Jesus sees them, then your attitude about them will dramatically change. We're told in Matthew 9.36, when he, speaking of Jesus, saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. The Greek word for distressed and dejected implies that they were inwardly troubled. There was no peace inside of them. And outwardly, they felt useless. They felt like just a, a rag, just like, you know, dirt. And when Jesus saw these people, again, he had that compassion. He had that love for them and he wanted to be their shepherd. So if Jesus had that compassion for such people, and if we're in the process of being made into his image, then we too ought to have that same compassion for all those lost people. So now, how should we respond when God calls us to do something or even go somewhere that common sense tells us is absolutely crazy. Well, first of all, it depends 
on the situation you're in. And it's going to require wisdom, discernment, and a good understanding of God's Word. And this is just one example. I, I could have, uh, I was thinking about putting all kinds of others, but let me just name one here. You must take in con- into consideration your marital status. If you're married and, and are called to go preach, the Lord will not ask you to dis, uh, dishonor your vows by just abandoning your wife. By saying, you know what, the Lord has called me to do this. I'm leaving you. If you're not happy with it, I'm going to leave you and I'm just going to do what I'm called to do. No. The Lord doesn't, it doesn't work like that. He's not like that. You know, um, He's not going to ask you to do something like that. Since both of you are united in, in, in one flesh, whatever it is that he's called you to do, and this could be the wife or the husband, I'm, you know, but um, whatever it is that he's called you to do, God will begin also preparing your spouse's heart for the role he or she will have. Now this obviously isn't an issue if you're single. Thus, this is the reason Paul advocated in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that the un- unmarried re- remain single. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking of how to please Him. Now, it's also important that you respond with humility. As I mentioned last week, Jonah's intense nationalistic pride became apparent when he responded by choosing to run away from the call instead of running towards it, instead of running to it. God may choose you to do something that may challenge the hidden pride you secretly hold in your heart. Lord, I can't go there and be seen um, or be seen associated with those people. I'm and you can insert any label you want. I'm rich. I'm too. I'm I'm too well known. I'm um, anything. You can name anything. Um, I'm this or that, and they are. And you can insert any label there too. It'll ruin my reputation. And that's usually the case with a lot of people. Lord, I'm. You know. I have too much going on in my life. You know, I'm too important, too valuable of a person. And being, going there and associating with those people is just going to ruin all that. I work too hard to be in this, in this place, in this position. And if I was to go there, it's going to ruin everything. Eric Liddell, the, the great Scottish sprinter and missionary to China, won a gold medal in the 1924 400-meter finals, Olympic finals. He was held as a national hero in his home country, and accolades were heaped upon him worldwide. He could have stayed home and been treated as royalty for the rest of his life. Instead, he took a boat to China and died in obscurity in, in a Japanese internment camp during World War II having turned his back on recognition by everyone except the Savior he obeyed. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we're told about a great man, a great man named Naaman, 
who served a powerful king, but had to learn this lesson, the lesson of obeying God with humility. Naaman had an incurable skin disease. And after exhausting all options at that time, he decided to go to a place and a people he thought were lower than him or that he was better than. When he went to see if the God of Israel was able to heal him, he expected to meet another powerful representative of God. What he got was a messenger, not even the man himself. It got worse. He was told to simply take a bath in a little river, not even in a mighty torrent. This was an insult to such a great man, and he was furious. His servants, who knew much about humility, explained the reality of the situation to him. And, his, and, was his and what was his response to being healed? He gave thanks and glory to God, not to a man. Elisha knew that God would answer Naaman. No great ceremony was necessary, only obedience to what God had said through, through his prophet. Further, Elijah how great men expect to be treated, but he chose not to play such games. He knew that it was all about God and bringing glory to him. He took none of the credit. Like Eric Lydell, if you choose to accept God's call, respond with humility. Otherwise, like Naaman, God may have to publicly expo expose the hidden pride in your heart in order to humble you. Now here are some other factors to consider prior to responding to God's call. Who ultimately is getting the honor and the glory? Will it be you or will it be the Lord? <coughs> if you're out to seek fame, fortune, power, then God isn't getting the glory. You are. But, again, like Eric Lydell, if you're willing to live in obscurity, in poverty, and among the powerless of society, without getting any credit for it, without getting a newspaper article written about you, or an interview, Again, you'll, you'll easily recognize, it'll be easy to recognize God's blessings and give Him the ultimate glory because you'll have an understanding that it's not about you. It's all about Him. Whatever it is that He's called you to do, wherever it is you're at, it's all about Him. So whether you are living in poor, poverty and you're hungry, and someone offers you some crackers and, you know, again, it's, Lord, thank you. You'll have that attitude, that heart of, Lord, thank you for providing this cracker. Yeah. When you're living with those who are living with no power, powerless of society, you'll start to see things in, that, in those people and realize, man, they are powerful. 
they're powerful in Christ. God is, you know, you'll be seeing the work that God is doing in their lives. For the Lord, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live in integrity. And those are the words found in Psalm 84, 11. Will your response, here's another thing to, to consider. Will your response contradict what God has already said in his word? For example, your heavenly father will never ask you to do anything that will cause you to intentionally hurt yourself or others. I've seen in the news, and maybe you have two people hurting, you're going out and just hurting a bunch of people, saying the Lord called me to you know, end this person's life. That's not, again, that's not the Lord. And if you're laying in bed one day and you hear a voice that you think is from the Lord and it's telling you to hurt somebody or hurt yourself, yeah, no, that's not him. That's not the Lord. And that's why I say, I said from the beginning, it's important to understand the full counsel of God, what the Word of God says, and what His will is for your life, and how much He loves you, and how much He loves humanity. Even though they're disobedient, and even though they're in wickedness, and um, they're doing some really awful things, He loves them. And it's not up to us to end someone's life. He has a time, a place, and a purpose for that. God cannot, cannot deny himself or contradict himself. He cannot change. He cannot go back on his word. Something else to consider. Well, think about this. Have you considered and accepted the cost? Following the call of God may require you to leave friends and family behind. And let me again say extended family. I want to make that point. It may require you to surrender your material possessions and live in poverty and even be in places where your life may be in constant danger. Are you ready and have you counted the costs? Let me um, read to you what Jesus said about this in Luke chapter 14. If you want to, you can go there, but I'll be uh, reading from Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. 
Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against them with 20,000? If not, while the other are still fall off, far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. So understand this. If you don't respond, God will continue to tug at your heart until you accept. If you do respond, God will equip you, God will strengthen you, God will be with you in whatever it is that He's called you to do. However, that's what He's going to do, your choice. It's going to be up to you though whether you will finish that work. Now once all those factors have been considered and believe the Lord has, oh, ha and believe uh, the Lord has made it unequivocally clear that he wants, where he wants, what He wants you to do and where He wants you to go, then take that step of faith. Take that step of faith and get up and go. <coughs> It says in Romans 8:28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And the Lord said in Isaiah 41:10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Wherever it is the Lord sends you, believe without a shadow of a doubt that the work that He's entrusted you to do will be accomplished not by your strength or power, but rather by the power of God's Spirit working in and through you. It's by His power that you will live fruitful lives in the Lord's service. Again, wherever it is, that He sends you on this earth. And as long as you continually cling to Jesus, as long as that you continually keep your eyes on the cross and, and hold on to the Word of God and, and, and you, you remain in prayer, He, the Lord, will provide everything you need to fulfill that purpose of your calling. I planted this church. You know, I, I kept thinking about what, the, what, what Chuck Smith, Pastor Chuck Smith famously, famously said, where God guides, God provides. And so far, the Lord has been faithful to that. And every Sunday, every single week, I am just amazed, I'm blown away, I'm thankful. And more and more, you know, I'm able just to trust in the Lord more, take more steps of faith. And I hope that as you continue in your walk that you'll start doing the same things as well. 
continue to trust. If he's trust, if he's come through before, and he's fulfilled his promises before, it should give you that strength, that courage, just to take another step, knowing that again he's going to fulfill his promises to you. The problem with Jonah was that he ran because of his personal depravity in spite, in spite of his knowledge of God's sovereignty. Instead of obeying God's command to get up and go to the city of Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, what does verse 3 tell us, tells us he does? He got up and twice it says that he went down. You see, the moment he began to make his way to Joppa, Jonah started to slide down a slippery slope that eventually led him into the belly of a fish. Jonah's downward spiral metaphorically shows us that the same will happen to us when we choose to disobey God and run away from Him or run away from His purposes for us. Regardless of the direction uh, that you run to, regardless of which way you run away from God or run away from God, it will be as if you're running down a, sleep, uh, a steep road made of porcelain that's covered in baby oil. There won't be any footing there. You'll just keep slipping and slipping. And when you reach the bottom, you'll end up finding yourself somewhere you'll, you've, you never expected to be at. The good news is that God pursues Jonah. God does not let him go, but finds out, but finds him out in order to rescue him. And because of God's immense love for you, God will pursue you as well. God will pursue you. He will find you and rescue you too. If indeed you are his child, he will never leave you nor forsake you. In Matthew 13, the parable of the merchant in seeking fine pearls is often um, under, understood incorrectly. While in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is the, is the treasure, in the parable, in, in this parable, it's the one seeking. The breathtaking message of this parable is that we are the pearl. He seeks we are the pearl that he gave everything for. At the core of scripture lays the truth that God is not only seeking for something, he is seeking for someone. He is seeking for us, he is seeking for me, he is seeking for you. So why does he allow us to run and hide? I believe he does this so that we'll get to a point where we recognize our need for him to rescue us from whatever hole that we've dug ourselves into. So that we'll see and understand that he's been pursuing us the entire time. So that we'll see that he's always been there and that we'll understand 
His love never ends. Job knew that God was pursuing him and longing for communion with him. Amidst the most terrible hardships, forsaken and doomed even by his closest friends, in severe pain and despair, and about to give up, wondering why God wouldn't break in and save him, he recalled that there was more than his reaching out to God. It's God reaching out to him. Job's last resort was reminding God of his pursuit of him. He was crying, Lord, I know you're seeking communion with me. When you let me die, I won't be there to give it to you anymore. Your reaching out to me will be unanswered. Job found hope in God's pursuit in the midst of his troubles, or in the midst of troubles. So as I begin to close here, if you've realized that there's, if you begun, began to see that there's nowhere else to run, if you've been running from the Lord and you start to see that there is nowhere else to run to, nowhere else to hide, you've been tired of living that way, all you have to do is just stop. Reveal yourself, stop hiding and just come to the Lord. Reach out to Him, and He will rescue you. He may not rescue you from all the troubles that you're in, but He will rescue you. He will rescue your soul. He will give you the peace that you've been longing for and searching for. He will do that for you. And I know that because He's done the same for me. He's done that. And maybe some of you, again, been to the in the belly of a fish and you've been and you called out to the Lord and he rescued you if you doubt that you can read scripture and know and understand that that's not uh, that's not how God is he's not angry he's not going to be angry with you or not angry enough to say you know what you deserve to be there you have been disobedient and you know what, I've, I'm done with you. No. He's loving, he's compassionate. I would never do that to any of my children. We don't have a cruel God. We don't have a cruel, masochistic God. He's compassionate, he's loving. <coughs> he will forgive you come to him with a genuine heart and if that's you if you've been you know if you remember those days that time when you had that close communion with the Lord and you long to be there again you know I think of again the story of the prodigal son yeah you may have run away and been eating with the pigs but if you've come to your senses and realize that being with the Lord is better than eating pig food and come to him he will accept you just like the prodigal son's father came and running to him and embraced him he will do the same for you again he desires 
and is longing for you. He's longing for you to return to the communion you once had with him. I want to read one more passage here from Psalm, Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verse 1, it says, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In the depths of the earth are his in his are the depths of the earth are in his hands, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Come back to him if you've run, run away, if, you're trying, if you've been hiding from him. Now there may be also some of you who have never had that relationship, that communion with the Lord, but are beginning to feel that tug from him and, and desire to have that relationship that you've never had with any other person before. You want to have that fellowship with the Lord you and you're sensing the Lord tugging at your heart and saying whatever your name is saying I, I want you to know me I want you to fall in love with me and I want you to see how much I love you and respond to that call don't ignore it reach out to him today because again you just don't know what the next second hour or minute hour will bring could be the end. And after that, that's it. There's no other opportunity. So while it's today, while you're feeling that tug in your heart, come to him. Surrender your heart. Believe in his son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for your sins, who came to forgive you of everything that you've ever done in the past, everything you've done now, and everything you will ever do. Allow him to fill you with his spirit so that you may experience so that you may experience his joy, his love, his peace. So you may have the same compassion that he has for the entire world. He died for you. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. Don't ignore it. Don't, don't ignore it. Don't run from it. Accept the Lord. He's calling. He's just ringing the doorbell of your heart. Let him in. And you won't be disappointed. Trust me. So if that's you and you are at that place where you want to surrender your life and give your life over to the Lord, wherever you're at, Wherever you may be, close your eyes, bow your head, and with all sincerity, just pray in your heart. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I know that I've fallen short. 
that nothing I will ever do be enough. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I confess that he is Lord. So now, Lord, I repent of my sins. And I come to you now in humbleness and ask you to cleanse me, cleanse my heart. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. That I may walk according to your ways, that I may know you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. And thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. And before I close with a general prayer, you know, I just again want to encourage you, again, wherever you're at, continually seek the Lord. He's not far from you. Even in those moments that you find yourself in a very dark, empty place. He's there. I know about depression. I know about those feelings of worthlessness. Those are things that I always struggled with since I was a kid. But every day I open up the word, the, the word of God. Every day I open up God's word. He reminds me of his faithfulness. He reminds me that he's never, ever going to abandon me. That he's with me in every single moment. During every single tear, he's wiping them away. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that he loves me and he will never abandon me. Will I, I mean, I have a tendency, I will have a tendency to run away. But as long as I remember his faithfulness and his promises to me, and keep that in mind, that's the likelihood of that happening. No, it's, it's not. He, I need him every day of my life. And if that's you, just that's what you need to do, just embrace him. Hold on to him during those moments, during those times. He cares for you. So let's close with a word of prayer. God, thank you for this morning that you've given us. Everybody that's here, everybody that is um, among us, you brought them here for a reason, Lord. Even if it's just for this Sunday or for other Sundays to come, Lord, you brought them here now because you wanted to Deliver a message to them, Lord. A specific message. Lord, you know that I may not be the best speaker and the best um, talker, Lord, but with your word and your message, this is your word and the the message that you put into my heart to deliver, Lord, and, and, and I trust that. And I hope that everyone here 
sees that and was able to hear something that you have to tell them. Or pray for those who have run away that they'll come back to you and experience that joy that comes with being in communion with you. Pray for those who are on the precipice of running away. Show them, Lord, it's not worth it. Reveal to them that it's only, it will only lead to hardship and that eventually they'll find themselves in the belly of a fish. I ask now that you encourage those who are and strengthen those who are hurting, those who are suffering, those who are going through um, emotional, physical, mental anguish. Lord, embrace them, heal them, strengthen them as well, Lord. May everyone here experience your peace, your love, and may we all, all of us, have compassion towards everyone. All the, all the unbelievers that were around, all the unbelievers that we come in contact with, may we see everyone Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for your Son. Keep everyone safe, Lord, wherever they, in their jobs, in their schools, wherever they may be at, in their homes. Protect them. And may they find comfort every day by opening your word. Bless this next time of fellowship. We love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.